The future is bright. In laryngology, we have developed very keen sense and very keen ability to discern very subtle patterns that would help us make diagnoses. And that's fantastic and to the benefit of the patient. Big data is the engine of artificial intelligence. But also our resources within the NHS are limited and stretched. So if you are able to use sort of our knowledge AI classification, put it together to, as you say, be able to stratify patients better into the most appropriate stream of care. It's got also to be good for getting patients to the right place in one or two appointments. It's cost-saving and it's hopefully better for the patient. Welcome to this episode in Series 4 of BLA Connections, A Clear Voice. I'm your host, Natalie Watson, and I aim to bring you discussions and insights from experts from across the globe on all things laryngology. We hope you've had a chance to listen to the rest of our fourth series, The Management and Patient's Journey of Airway Stenosis, Persistent Throat Symptoms, and The Aging Voice. Do make sure you have a listen. To bring us into the modern day and the technological modern world, we are going to explore artificial intelligence, or AI, and laryngology. To do this, we are delighted to welcome Professor Reza Nurai, consultant laryngologist and tracheal surgeon at Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. Reza, thank you so much for joining us today. Natalie, thank you very much for having me. So let's uh, kick off and go straight in with the question. So do you think there's a role for AI in laryngology? I think there is a role for AI in every aspect of our lives, of which laryngology is no exception. But laryngology as a discipline is an area that perhaps lends itself better than many others to AI and classification of complex data sets, which not entirely, but mostly what we mean by it. As laryngologists, we deal with analysis of complex moving images sometimes at very high speeds to uh, make diagnoses, subtle diagnoses for our patients. And also we listen to the voice and discern very subtle patterns of abnormalities within it, which again help us make diagnoses. And if the recent example of COVID and our ability or our requirement to be making diagnoses remotely is anything to go by, there is definitely a role to play for AI in laryngology. But more than using the systems that currently exist to help us better classify, for example, voice disorders that as laryngologists, we tend to have good ears for. One of the ways I think AI can help broadly is to bring the knowledge that we as laryngologists have around understanding the voice signals and some uh, visual signals to be able to bring that knowledge to the wider field. And again, COVID is a good example of that. With the use of AI, we are able to classify voice and uh, visual signals and democratize the ability to make complex diagnoses that currently are in the domain of various specialist clinicians. And that's one of the areas I'm particularly excited about in terms of AI and laryngology. So, um, I mean, I know that there are certain areas that are looking into AI. So, for example, in like looking at ear photos, but otoscopic pictures, doing audiograms and teaching the computer, is this normal? Is this abnormal? 
Is this type of thing that's happening in laryngology around the world? Are there are there programs out there that can that has been developed at all that will look at a picture or a stroboscopic image or a dynamic image and is learning? Yes, very much so. One of the challenges we have in laryngology, as you know, particularly around stroboscopy and high-speed laryngoscopy, is that we are presented with thousands of images that are required over a very short examination period. And the ability to present the best images or the best sequences of movement that could give us diagnoses is something that's being very actively worked on. In relation to cancer diagnoses, and in particular transnasal panendoscopy, and areas where we are trying to take activity out of the operating room and into the outpatient setting, again, we have similar challenges. You have in one video examination perhaps 12 to 15,000 frames, and what is the very best view of the oposophageal sphincter or of the Z-line or of the subtle lesion in the larynx? is something that we currently have to manually look for among many frames. And this is an area where AI is uh, very successful in not necessarily making a diagnosis for us, but in identifying regions of interest that we are uh, then able to better scrutinize. And there's good work in colorectal endoscopy and more recently with Barrett's esophagus screening that is making use of this image recognition to do that. And there is, of course, work around voice, which I'm happy to further discuss if you would like. Let's just talk about the the stuff that is happening in an interdisciplinary field. So looking at the colorectal, because I think that's really important is to learn from other disciplines, because, of course, there are lots of other disciplines out there that are using technology like this. And we have to obviously, you know, get on the bandwagon and, and, and join them using those those skills. For Barrett's, of course, you know, that's also a very crossover part for laryngology with regards to our P&O service. So for Barrett's, whereabouts are they exploring this image recognition? Several centres are doing that. Um, One of the best examples I have recently come across is um, a couple of miles away from you, north of the river at UCL, where uh, Professor Lovat is doing fantastic work around image recognition and not just in identifying Barrett's, which is where our focus is perhaps as transnasal endoscopists, but also in better classifying Barrett into low risk and high risk. Um, with colorectal cancer, um, there is work that is coming out of China and Japan um, around identifying polyps, not necessarily to diagnose them, but pointing out regions of interest to the endoscopist live as examination is proceeding. And there we know that the rate of benign polyp detection correlates with uh, the rate of cancer detection. So it's something that potentially has an impact to improve survival. In terms of making diagnostics and laryngeal biopsies, etc., less invasive, there is uh, there are wide field epithelial sampling methods that are taking advantage of AI to take brush cytology to the next level. So rather than having to take a biopsy of a lesion, we can have comparable confidence in cancer or non-cancer by simply doing brush cytology, which, as every laryngologist knows, you know, we worry about millimeters of mucosa. So not having to take them isn't a bad thing. So whereabouts are they doing this brush cytology? Are they doing it in the larynx and the upper area digestive tract? Very much so. 
The company that does it is uh, based in America, and they have a Barrett's stream um, as well as a pharyngolaryngeal stream. It's not yet available in the UK, but we are in discussions with them about that. Because, I mean, that just lends itself to our in-office laryngology, doesn't it? Or or our in-office procedures, whether it be laryngology or head and neck cancer or you know, rhinology or whatever. We frequently come across cytology for cancer diagnosis, for lymph node biopsies, and also for thyroid nodule classification. So it's something that us as a large cohort as in ENT are very used to, but we're not used to really getting the samples ourselves. It's normally the radiologists who do it. So this is a really new and exciting thing because as we know, with a lot of these cancers, they're very friable. They bleed with even the lightest touch. So, I mean, of course, sometimes you want to debulk with the with the procedure, but to just get a few cells in a, in the clinic, it would just speed things up so much. Absolutely. And when, for instance, we are considering whether a lesion that we see that is borderline is cancer or dysplasia, and in trying to reduce the number of times we take the patient to theatre, a combination of visual analysis of uh, a mucosal wave impairment compare along with AI assessment of cytology in the context of a clinical trial in the near future could give us confidence that we are dealing with one type of lesion or another. So when transoral laser, for instance, is the way we want to go forward, that we go for it um, straight away and uh, have confidence that we are dealing with a lesion that we think we are dealing with rather than having sample biopsies before we can make that decision. But that's a medium to longer term change in practice, which AI could be a big part in supporting. And of course, with AI, when you're teaching a computer to to learn what's right and wrong and what histologically comes about with further examination, you're talking about big data. You're talking about a lot of data being put through into a computer to be learned and digested. You've got a lot of experience with big data. How can big data, in your experience, help laryngology? Big data is the engine of artificial intelligence. One thing to say about artificial intelligence is that it's not fantastically clever. I know that's slightly controversial. What is good about AI is that it has relatively simple computations, certainly by comparison to the human brain, but an AI system could, in a matter of probably three minutes, uh, someone estimated, see every radiological image that was seen by every radiologist since the invention of x-rays till today. It is those large data sets that allow simple classifications to really come to their own and become powerful. So big data sets are absolutely the key to this. When we talk about big data, we are talking about almost two separate things that come together in many ways. One is genuinely big data sets. Now, I've not been able to find the reference for this, but it's too specific not to be at least a little bit true. It is said that a radio telescope working now any given night generates more data than was created since the dawn of time by humanity since until 2001. So there is an element of big data that really deals with huge data sets. We are not quite in that space in laryngology with 
a three-minute voice recording, you're talking maybe about 20, 30,000 uh, data points. Uh, what in laryngology we talk more about or think more about is N equals all or population sciences. So using data sets like the hospital episode statistics or like large registry data sets that give us approximations, if not a true picture of the population science. And my experience is uh, mostly around that, which is, for example, to use the all thyroidectomies in the country done to work out the risk of pneumonia from vocal paralysis in the 10 years that follows thyroidectomy and uh, the mitigation of that from with speech therapy and to some extent injection laryngoplasty. These are the sorts of insights that wouldn't be visible to the experience even of individual large centers. But um, another area where big data sets can help, and it's a piece of work that we are doing through global health, is to try and increase access to healthcare. So, for example, as we know, the voice or the speaking is the most specialized form of expiration. And there are entire countries in the world that don't have either a tall or a decent lung function setup, and yet asthma, COPD, and lung diseases are expanding at an alarming rate. So one of the pieces of work that we are currently involved in, which is terribly exciting with colleagues in Southampton, is around uh, using voice analysis to predict lung function. Now, we've recently published a paper in digital in Frontiers of Digital Health, but you know, getting the knowledge of laryngology, acquiring big data sets, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of data points, and then applying it to settings that don't automatically go together to improve access to health is something that I'm very excited about. And as laryngologists, our knowledge of voice and of images is well-placed to support that. Well, absolutely. I think we as laryngologists, we've got a lot to, to feedback and to help develop these things as well, because as you say, if you could get enough information that a voice, if they sound like in a particular way, you'll be able to figure out whether something's a assist or a polyp or a RRP or post-dioglottic stenosis or, you know, some kind of vocal cord palsy or something, immobility. I'm sure there's a way of identifying because I, I guess we do it in our clinic. You know, it's a game, isn't it? It's a detective game when you're sitting there and you're, you're taking the history and you're listening and you're doing grab and everything. You're listening, you're thinking, ah, I, I bet you that's a vocal palsy. All right. And it's not even the content of what they're saying. It's just obviously their voice. So I think, and I know uh, there are there's certain laryngologists who are absolutely excellent at knowing how to, absolutely, their ear is just tuned like a fine musical instrument. And that is a skill. Of course, it's a skill, but it's a skill that's based on traits that people can identify. And if we can do it, a computer can do it, you know, a million times faster. So if you could get a program and the big data to identify these voices and the changes in voice, and then you had an app on your phone, you could triage people quite easily, couldn't you, into tertiary centers that you think might need a, something taken out versus those who didn't really have, have a lesion, just have more tension, dysphonia, and they could go straight into the speech and language therapy section. So, I mean, we're, we're dealing with huge backlogs in the UK from COVID. I'm sure that's the same worldwide. And then you're talking about health inequalities across the United Kingdom and the world. And then you're talking about poor access to healthcare. And, but 
most people have phones and things like that. So having apps developed to do that, it'd be amazing. Rosa, I think we should probably go into some business to create this. Indeed, my colleague Julian McGlashan, myself and a team have just applied for funding to do exactly that work around laryngeal diagnosis and a global health consortium that I'm proud to be a part of are looking at uh, exploring the, uh, the potential for voice in respiratory disease prediction and classification. And it will definitely be true that you know, multi-center collaborations and working with colleagues is going to be the way we can generate the large data sets that would enable this work to happen. So no, it's it's terribly exciting and a good opportunity for collaboration between us. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to just be respiratory. Respiratory is just going to be the beginning, you know, laryngology and respiratory because neurology. I bet there's loads of neurological illnesses we can detect in the larynx before things start, like Parkinson's. I'd like to acknowledge the fantastic and pioneering work that our incoming BLA president, Declan Costello, did many years ago now in exactly that area. I've read his papers. I think I understood about 30% of it. It was it was very, very good. But what at the time was very challenging is to be able to have these rapid classifiers. So the work that they did was around if you like classifying invoice that was human accessible, but with AI now, we can classify things in tremendously more complicated ways. And provided we have confidence in the answer, then we can use it for diagnosis. So Parkinson is very much an area that lends itself tremendously well to AI and remote monitoring. Of course, things like spasmodic dysphonia and monitoring people and bringing them for Botox when the time is right, rather than at predefined times. It's all going to feed nicely into personalised medicine. And that's it. It's about personalised medicine for the NHS to fit the person rather than the person to fit within the NHS. And that, that's in the UK. Absolutely. But also our resources within the NHS are limited and stretched. So if you are able to use sort of our knowledge, AI classification, put it together to, as you say, be able to stratify patients better into the most appropriate stream of care. It's got also to be good for getting patients to the right place in one or two appointments. It's cost saving and it's hopefully better for the patient. So with the use of uh, technology in laryngology, the things that we've talked about and maybe other things, how do you see the future? The future is bright. In laryngology, we have developed very keen sense and very keen ability to discern very subtle patterns that would help us make diagnoses. And that's fantastic and to the benefit of the patient. But what's been very difficult is there are not enough of us to go around looking at every voice problem or every swallowing problem or to diagnose every airway problem from the thousands of asthmas and COPDs that are within uh, that are there. So I think technology is a way of extending the reach of subspecialist laryngologists. But also, I think it's a way of supporting colleagues, um, our speech and language therapists, our senior nursing colleagues who want to develop more extended roles in bridging that gap and being able to support them at a distance so that they could go out and uh, offer these specialized services with our support enabled by technology. And that's something that we are, again, actively working on. And it's uh, tremendously exciting. An example of that, of course, is the GI endoscopy program, which is now being run by a range of clinicians. And our ability to bring that sort of inclusivity to laryngology 
has to be driven by technology to make sure patient safety is also at the centre of what we do. Absolutely. I mean, at the moment, we've got individual uh, clinics run by allied health professionals and nurse practitioners. They're all coming under a consultant and we're reviewing those images. And at the moment, we're using technology to review images. But of course, in the it's time sensitive, isn't it? In the future, then they can put it through a program. And if it seems to be in the normal category, then they wouldn't need to consult us necessarily once the program set up. So it's very exciting. And we can take that potentially one step back. The nice guidelines around two-week wait referrals, for example, have a 3% positive predictive value threshold. And at the moment, we assign that to a symptom hoarseness, but perhaps with you know, not quite just an E, but with a little bit of voice recording, and that added to that calculation, we may well be able to uh, screen people into less time pressure, perhaps more appropriate places. And of course, it's not just directly laryngeal cancer that affects voice. We can extend that, as you say, into multiple areas. The big driving force is in the NHS and probably you know, obviously healthcare worldwide is to get the right person in the right place to to see the right person in the shortest possible time. And, uh, you know, because that's, that's, we're, we're always fighting against time in, in healthcare. And so if you can have all these wonderful ways of, of actually diverting people into the right direction because of this technology, then um, all the better. Very much so. I could not agree more. So have you got any final thoughts on AI and laryngology? Any take home messages you'd like to share with us today? It is not. It must be said an answer to everything. It is perhaps a way of extending the specialist knowledge that we have into more democratized, accessible formats. But it does offer tremendous potential, both within our institution, within our country and globally, to be able to put the knowledge that takes us many years to acquire into more accessible, inclusive use across the broader healthcare. And that's the principal application that excites me about AI and technology. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, with us the exciting news about AI and laryngology and the technology in the future. It's all very exciting and I can't wait to be a part of it and see it throughout my career and I guess it and I, I bet in everybody else's career who's, who's listening to this um, podcast today. So thank you very much, Professor Reza Nurai, for joining us today. It's been excellent. Thank you very much for having me. It's been tremendously exciting to talk to you about this. We hope you've enjoyed listening. This has been BLA Connections, A Clear Voice. I have been your host, Natalie Watson. Our full series can be found in the podcast provider of your choice, or you will find all stored on our BLA Connect app for easy access. We would also love to hear from you. Please feel free to email with any topics you would like us to explore, any questions you have, along with any suggested experts you would like to hear from. Also, if you would like to contribute to these podcasts, please email inquiries at britishlaryngological.org. Thank you for listening, and we hope you found our podcast informative. Please remember to subscribe and do leave a review with your podcast provider. We do appreciate your likes, subscribes, and reviews.